We all feel better. In the dark, we feel better. We all feel better. In the dark, in the dark. Kick your ass. And say, since he's my friend, I'll have to kick your ass too. You so know. First, you give us this stupid Poughkeepsie tape yeah, I mean, yeah. bullshit ripoff because he's my boy. Yeah. 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 Check it. Let me tell you about these two dudes from Brooklyn. You won't view movies the same way again. Every two weeks you get something new and hate it or love it. They break it down for you. Tom DJ and Derek Ferguson been writing for years. Got respect from the peers. Watch these movies for all benefit. The watching Halloween love Tom rather spit. How about a couple musicals or maybe Dennis Quaid? But Tom's on a rant, directors be afraid. Episodes classic, don't get it twisted. And from the start, these two have been gifted. Tom loves Kristen and Derek loves Pam. Tom hates heroes and Derek can't stand. Remakes of movies that don't need remade. Watch out studios, they won't be played. So give it up for T and give it up for D. Coolest guys from Brooklyn, this side of Jay-Z. My name's B hyphen and it's time to start. Cause we all feel better, better, better in the dark. Robotic human surrogates combine the durability of a machine with the grace and beauty of the human body. With most people living their lives through their surrogate selves, our world has become a safer place. You see what they see. Feel what they feel. From the comfort and safety of your own home. Go watch that movie! This is a Better in the Dark spoiler warning. The following program features discussions of major plot points, even the endings, of recent films. If you have not seen the films discussed and don't want to know anything, stop listening now. You have been formally warned, and from this point on, we have the right to complain, bellyache, bitch, moan, or otherwise whine about it. Thank you, and enjoy the show! After our great adventure in Metropolis... We have returned, and we have returned one week before Thanksgiving, and before we go any further, Tom, let me wish you and your family a happy Thanksgiving, yes, since we won't be you, seeing each course. other next week, because I'll be away. You'll be away, time. Yeah, I'll be I'll away be eating turkey. Well, we'll both be eating turkey, <laughs> yes. just yes. not in the same state. <laughs> of course, to all of you out there, you faithful better in the dark listeners, a very happy Thanksgiving. Well, we hope that you enjoyed your Thanksgiving present from us. Yeah, because by the time you hear this, Thanksgiving will be over. (laughs) We had a lot of fun doing that with Michael Bailey. And we hope you guys enjoyed listening to the Superman episode. I hope you listened to the Superman episodes. We can safely announce now that he will be back to join us when we do our Justice League episode, which Mm -hmm. we've already talked about doing next year. That generated a lot of buzz. And we haven't even seen the movie one yet. We have one guy, Mike Blanchard. Hi, Mike. He actually has gone back and he's been rewatching. Lois and Clark because from the beginning. You were on Mike's show recently. M-Wire. M-Wire. Movie Weekend Review. Right. Where we went back and forth about the merits <laughs> of Ghost Rider. And I want to put laid on the line here. I don't hate Eva Mendez. I just hate the guy who, when trying to get into her pants when she was a teenager, said, you know who you look like? Raquel Welch. See, Mike should have really got you. <laughs> to be on that episode. <laughs> oh, y'all guys could have had a ball with that one. 
but he's actually went and he's been rewatching the entire series. Yeah. My God. If I knew we had that type of power yeah. over people, <laughs> oh my gosh. We would do a soupy sale. Send us money. You know them little green pieces of paper your parents have in your wildest kids? Put those in the envelope. Right. Mail it to Uncle Derek and Uncle Tom. Tom. Uncle Tom, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. Rimshot. Mr. Sales has passed away. Yes, Along Mr. with a number of people. One person, of course, that is a favorite of both of ours. Edward Woodward. The Equalizer. Who we talked about in our second obscure horror movie episode. Where we talked about The Wicker Man. Great, great actor. Have you ever seen Breaker Morant? No, I have not. I think I have it on DVD. Mm-hmm. I have to find a lended. Another great movie. That was a movie that was made during the great Australian boom. Back right. Remember we that was there. at the very beginning of that. He wasn't in a whole lot of stuff that mm-hmm. I recall, but what he was in that I've seen, he was always good. Yeah. The Wicker Man, you and me both said, now that's a horror movie. So what are we doing today, Derek? We are reading email. A lot of email, but it's also our periodic review episode. Which you guys out there always look forward to, and... Tom and I have a full plate of movies yes. for you. This we have both seen two films by ourselves, and one film we both saw. Right. And we're going to be discussing all of them. Right. Both of us have seen District 9. Right. I've seen Surrogates. Mm-hmm. You've seen Paranormal Activity yes. and Pandorum, and I just recently saw 2012. Yes. The thing is about the Mayan calendars, I'm more curious about how the Mayans didn't mark where their civilization was ending. I want to go into this more when I do the actual thing on my right. But just let me say right now that the whole Mayan thing has really been blown out of proportion. It's just mentioned very briefly in the movie. Right. And then it's forgotten because they have a more scientific explanation for what's happening. But I'll get into that during yes. the review. But before we get to that, as I mentioned, we got a lot of viewer mail. We've got a lot to catch up on. Yeah, because we haven't been doing it lately. But that's because we had a lot of other stuff right, that we had course. to do. But as we say so often, you guys are the ones that we really work for. Right. We don't want you to be writing these emails in vain. So, bear with us for a while because we're going to go through all of these emails and get them out of the way. Right. So, we're going to start with, of course, the email that we referenced in the Quentin Tarantino Director's Court episode, yeah. which was written by Ed Henley. Once again, Ed, we are very sorry it took so long for us to get to your email. Don't hate us, Ed. We're only human. Ed says... Love your guys' podcasts, and I'm working my way through them all after I found the Bond series, which I'm loving. Wanted to vent on some movie-going experience issues apropos of your show on how things have changed. I'm about the same age as you folks. Namely, and he has them in a list, Revival House Patrons. I lived in Manhattan for the last 15 years before moving to Baltimore. Don't ask. And I always found that the people who go to Revival theaters like the Walter Reed and the Film Forum are some of the noisier and least considerate to see movies with. You get a lot of what I call the plastic bag crew who tend to be older and come to the theater with their lunch from the food emporium. Oh my god. Salad bar that they open as noisily as possible at the most inopportune point in the film. Also, at last summer's French crime series at the film forum, an older gentleman became deranged during Alan Delon's jailbreak in the Sicilian job, screaming, There's no power source! about the tools Delon was using to escape a police van. Let me tell you something, Alan Delon was so cool, he didn't need a power source. He was the power That's source. That's right, damn it. That's how cool that I would like was. to just do an episode talking about, because Delon was like this big icon of French noir cinema during He the was 60s. a god at his height. Oh, man. There was a period where he was French cinema. Yeah, and it amazes me that so many people are not aware of this guy. This guy was stone cold cool. Well, that's what we're here for. That's what, what we're going to do. We're going to do in one of our planning sessions, work up a list 
us an Alain Delon movies and we're going to bone right. up on it, and we're going to do that. I would rather see a new film with a high-spirited young crowd that may get a little loud than a classic with people who feel their rarefied tastes entitle them to behave however they like. I would wish they and the others would make the experience of seeing older films in these settings attractive to younger filmgoers, who might otherwise be turned off by seeing movies in an environment that can sometimes resemble a retirement community where the old jaded hipster hangs out. I grew up on the great DC revival theater, The Circle, where the atmosphere was more welcoming. Why must you arrive so early? In New York City, think Kipps Bay or Union Square. Even with the advent of purchasing tickets electronically, you're still expected to arrive 30 minutes early if you want a decent seat or plan to sit with others. Longer films become almost unendurable with the additional time factored in. People get used to long periods of socializing at their seat that they can't stop once the film starts. Why? Back in the day, you showed up five minutes before showtime and went to your seat. Plus, there was about a 15-minute lull between showings that made it easier to stay and see the same picture twice in a row, which wasn't discouraged. Why open the door so early just so we can be held captive by the dreaded screen spam of Regal First Look? I hate the Regal First Look. You know something? That's why they want you to come 30 minutes early, so that you can sit there and watch that crap. But actually, and you may remember this, a couple years back, remember... That there was a thing in New York, they actually had movie theaters that were adjusting the time. Yeah. It would say that it starts at 12 o'clock, but it actually wouldn't start till 12.30. They jumped in and told the theaters, listen, y'all you gotta cut that. Out. Yeah, you can't. Yeah. You know, uh, you know that's, false, that's false advertising. Because I don't want to watch it. They still do that now. And they still adjust it so that they, they're telling you the time with the trailers. Yeah, that's how they got it. And out. I, you know, I love trailers. So do I. It just pisses me off that they're trying to force us to sit through them. Theaters want more money. Added intermission. Why, when films are so long, do they just not add an interval to films that push the three-hour mark? Were the last half hours of the Lord of the Ring films made more enjoyable while trying to ignore the call of a beckoning bladder? Not simply will patrons be more comfortable, more concessions will be sold. It's not as though they show the film any additional times with the aforementioned 45 to one hour break between each showing. I love watching DVDs or movies on TCM that include the roadshow intermissions that accompanied films in their initial release. Usually these also have overtures and entrances, which make seeing even non-epic pictures like the Cowboys or Ice Station Zebra richer experiences. Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't even remember the last time. I think probably in Manhattan, I went to the Ziegfeld Theater. I think maybe that was the last time I went to a movie theater yeah. that had an intermission. I think I remember the last intermission that I know of, which was in the infamous Heaven's Gate. Ah, okay. And the funny thing was, is that when they transferred that film to VHS, and it was such a big film, obviously, they had to use two tapes. Yeah, I remember that. the whole four-hour epic. They had the intermission in the VHS yeah, yeah. tape. They showed it not too long ago in Turner Classic Movies. Mm-hmm. The whole four-hour And I, the thing about that film is so achingly beautiful, but it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. That movie gets a very bum rap, because yeah. it's not as bad as It's people. not the worst movie ever it's made. It's not. It's not. I mean, it has a reputation, which is deservedly so, for being a film that killed a motion picture studio. Yeah, yeah. But... It is far from the worst movie ever made. Nah, nah, there are some moments... There's a lot of great moments in it. There's a lot of great scenes, a lot of good performances. But it's one of those movies that you get to the end of it, and you say, well, what was the point? It works better as a collection of beautiful images and beautiful set pieces, yeah. rather than a consistent narrative. But it's certainly not as bad, and it doesn't deserve the reputation mm-hmm. of one of the worst movies ever made. So getting back to Ed, my Grindhouse story. Okay. Back in the 80s, I saw a triple feature on 42nd Street. Not sure what, but I know one picture was The Legend of Billie Jean. I was in love with Helen Slater, but weren't we all? I left the theater and got about four blocks away when I realized I didn't have my wallet. 
I went back to the theater and asked if I could go in and look for it, but was turned away. The ticket taker feared some ruse. They offered to let me pay to go in, which I obviously couldn't do with no money. Desperate, I went to the side of the theater and pried open the exit and went in, and amazingly found it at the feet of another patron. Phew! Lucky man. Yeah, very lucky. <laughs> On the bright side, the landmark change is good. While they do artier fare in cities like New York City and D.C., here in Baltimore, which only has one theater in the city proper, they'll show stuff like the new Bond picture. The Ziegfeld in Paris I also love, which are the only single-screen first runs left in New York. I die every time I think about the late lamented worldwide, the $3 theater I haunted all through the 90s in Midtown, where the spirit of the grindhouse lived on. Like you guys, I could go on, but I won't. So I hope you do. Keep up the good work. Ed. Thank you, Ed. Thank you very much, Ed. And we all mourn the, the worldwide. Oh, uh, yeah. The, the reason it closed down was very simple. It wasn't making money. No, it wasn't. The worldwide, that was on Fifth yeah. Street. You went, mm-hmm. they had all the theaters downstairs. I remember me and Patricia would go there. There'd be a mob outside. And I have no idea why here in Manhattan you can't make a go of a good $3 movie theater. Luckily, we've got, I, I've mentioned this on my live journal, Space Monkey Mafia. There is a pilot program that some of the lowest theaters are doing where if you go to the theater before 12 noon, it's $6. I've taken advantage of that twice so far. Mm-hmm. And granted, there was the, the situation where we went to see Paranormal Activity where it was so early in the day that the person, it was on Friday. Mm-hmm. So the new films had come in. And the person had forgotten to change the plates and they had moved Paranormal Activity to another theater. <laughs> okay. So I'm sitting inside and I'm like, the movie's supposed to start. Where's the movie? And eventually somebody comes and goes, Oh, I'm sorry, we didn't put the plates in. They're over next door. They said, next door. <laughs> they hadn't started it yet. I sat through a couple of trailers and then the movie had started. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, our next email is from our good friend David Quinn, who, of course, we also know as Quinny from the Cool Shite on the Two podcasts. Absolutely. Dave writes, just checking in, realize that there hadn't been a new show in a fairly long time. Hope you're both okay and that nothing too serious has gone awry. I miss hearing you guys in my ear holes. That sounds so wrong. <laughs> that doesn't sound good. Let's move right along. <laughs> I emailed back and forth with Quinny, and it turns out that he had not known about the transition. IRS. Well, he knew about the transition to Earth2.net, but mm. I think that he got his through iTunes. Oh, okay. And as such, he didn't get the update. There was some delays about getting a new RSS feed up, but there is a new RSS feed up on the iTunes which you can now grab with your podcatchers, and you'll be able to get every new episode as it comes available. Oh, okay. Okay, so that's Dave. Now we've got a new writer, a guy by the name of Gray. Okay, he goes, Hey, Tom and Derek, I've been listening to your show for a couple of months now, and I thought I would drop you a line for a couple of reasons. First, I wanted to let you know that I have been enjoying your Bond episodes the most out of your catalog. Tom, your knowledge on Bond is amazing and truly makes the show worth listening to. Derek, your commentary is hilarious. Horror is my personal forte in regards to cinema, and I've been saving your retrospective on Halloween until the right time, and I think this month might be that time. I also want to let you know that I have finally finished working on a podcast of my own called The Dark Hours Horror Podcast. Don't know if horror is your cup of tea, but I would love if you would listen to an episode and let me know your thoughts. It took me a while to learn the whole process, but I am satisfied with the results. DHP can be found at www.thedarkhours.net or on iTunes. The link for the feed is http backslash backslash thedarkhours.lipson.com backslash rss. There is a promo in introductory zero episode that will give you the gist of what the show is about and also the first four episodes. And he signs your host during the dark times, Greg. 
I've actually listened to episodes 1, 3, and 4. The only one I haven't listened to for some reason is 2. He's very much in the vein of Dess's show, in that he'll have four or five different subjects that he'll talk about, and he'll break them up. Usually, uh, Dess uses songs to break up his segments. He uses promos and little clips and stuff. It's really good. I will definitely give it a listen. And he's got a lot of our sensibilities, because in the first episode, he talks at length about Hello, Barry Lou, Prom Night 2. Oh, okay. So, (laughs) that was fun, knowing that we weren't the only podcaster who wanted to talk about that one. So, yeah, check out Gray's podcast, which, once again, is at darkhours.lipson.net. The Dark Hours. Right. Dot what now? Lipson.com Give me something to do today. Our next email is from Paul Spataro Who has been listening for a long time Is a big fan And he writes I'm just listening to the latest show I really enjoyed the talk of Duel and Frankenstein the True Story I recently found the later at my local library And am looking forward to watching it again I also found another old favorite Early 70's TV movie called Crowhaven Farm I was wondering if you have any memory of this one Oh, with Hope Lang Exactly, that's the next set. It starred Hope Lang as a present day woman who had flashbacks to the witch hunts in to the Salem, witch arrive. and turns out to be reincarnated. I remember being nine years old and very spooked. I'm sure I won't live up to my memory, but I'm looking forward to it just the same. Another movie from that era I remember fondly is the one called The Mind of Mr. Soames, a pseudo-science fiction movie variation of Charlie. I don't think it's on DVD, but remember it fondly. Anyway, I'm enjoying the show. Best wishes. Go Jets. I guess that's for me. Yeah. Paul. You remember Crowhaven Farm? Yeah, Crowhaven Farm. Channel Seven back then, when they had Tuesday night movies, and they had they had a lot of really creepy good movies Mm -hmm. that they had. We really have to get together and we have to do a whole episode about those because Crowhaven Farm, Bad Ronald, The Haunts of the Very Rich, Mm -hmm. or Lloyd Bridges. There were a couple that were done by Wes Craven. One called, I think, Chiller. There were a number of them, but I know a lot of them. We also gave lip service to a couple of them like Gargoyles. Gargoyles, right, with Bernie Casey. With Bernie Casey. Now, one thing I'd like to mention before we go any further... He mentioned that he went to the library and he borrowed one. Right. And I've probably said this before, but folks, your library is a great resource to borrow DVDs for free. Especially if you can't find these movies anywhere else, check out your library. And a lot of times, if they don't have it, they'll order it for you. Right. That's another avenue. You don't have to rely on Netflix or Blockbuster. Go check out your local library. And while you're doing it, take out a book. It's not going to kill you. Read, damn it. Okay. Our next email is from our good friend and frequent correspondent, Joel Jenkins. Mm -hmm. Hey, Joel. And he says, Hi, Tom and Derek. Some time ago, I wrote an email wondering if a viewer's outlook of Frank Miller's The Spirit might be different if that viewer was unfamiliar with the source material from which it was supposed to be drawn. To paraphrase your response, your answer was, no, it's a bad movie either way. After finally getting around to seeing The Spirit, I have to agree with your assessment. (laughs) You'd think a movie that was so visually arresting and packed with so many attractive women would be a slam dunk, but Miller counteracts any willing suspension of disbelief with so many scenes of silliness, cornball scenes showing by Samuel L. Jackson, and general goofiness that I was constantly jarred out of my viewing experience. In short, I have to agree with your assessment. The Spirit is a bad movie, whether you know Eisner's work or whether you're unfamiliar with it. (laughs) Though I'm ambivalent toward Nicolas Cage, I don't understand the recent slams on Knowing or Next, both films that I found very entertaining and even thought-provoking in the case of Knowing. However, you did steer me true in regarding Something Wicked This Way Comes, a great little movie that I somehow managed to miss seeing until you recommended it. By the way, I'm not normally a fan of rap music, but I love your theme song. And though I don't always agree with your assessments of movies, I do find Better in the Dark highly diverting, even when discussing movies that I might not have any intention of seeing. Joel Jenkins. My buddy Joel. Yes. Mm-hmm. Answer him. You folks, 
check out Pulpwork Press website. Tom will give you the address of it at the end of this. Joel is a very good writer. And if you like Edgar Rice Burroughs type fiction. Oh, he's got like three series going on right now, right? He's got the Dire Planet he's series. He's got the Dire Planet There's series. three books of those. He's working on the fourth now. Right. He's got the Vampire Detective guy. This well, that's one. not a series. That's oh, just that's that one book. That was yeah, just, one just book. that one book. And he's got the, was it the Gannett Brothers? The Gantlet Brothers. The Gantlet Brothers. The first one is the Nuclear Suitcase. Right, which and just came out recently from Pulp Works Press. That's right. And he's going to be continuing that series. That's his gratuitous free plug. We there you answer, go. We can answer his going back to the spirit. Right. <laughs> I will never forgive Robert Rodriguez for that. No, because blame him. Just, as, just as I blame that guy who told Eva Mendez, you look like Raquel Welch, we all blame Robert Rodriguez. Like, Frank. You can direct a movie. Yeah, because didn't he let him direct a segment of, yes. uh, what's it called, Sin City? He's listed as co-director because of the literal shot-by-shot filming, but he was on set all the time. Robert, Robert, Robert. We love you, Robert, but... Don't encourage Frank Miller anymore. <laughs> Thank you. As far as Nicolas Cage, we 100% respect your right to disagree with us. I think that he's been sleepwalking through his last... 10 years of his life. Actually, next was a fascinating premise, because mm-hmm. this was a guy that could see the future, but only for two minutes. That was a fascinating ability, but it was mm-hmm. the execution of how they did it through the movie that was... And when you got to the ending, the ending was unforgivable, as far as I'm concerned. It was... Uh, and also the same thing as we discussed with knowing, once it got to the ending. If you had told me somebody was going to try to pull off that ending in this day and age... That was an ending that was a cliche back in the 1930s and 40s. Right. When people wrote science fiction. Come on, give me a break. I listened to the latest edition of Mondo Movie, mm-hmm. which is at mondomovie.com. It's a British cult movie podcast. Ben and Dan, who are the hosts, mentioned that the next Nicolas Cage movie is called Bad Lieutenant Portacol. Yeah, New Orleans. New Orleans yeah. Supposedly, it's a return to the Nicolas Cage most people like. That's what I've heard. I've heard good things about that. It. It's more of his wild and nutty, go-for-broke acting style from his early it days. It would have to go some distance to beat the original Harvey Keitel, Abel Ferrara, Bad Lieutenant, let me tell you. Yeah, well, apparently it is totally unconnected. The idea is they're going to have like a whole series of Bad Lieutenant port in, di- in different cities. And it'll be just, the only thing that's, that's uniting them is there's uh, a police lieutenant and he's a bad person. That's not exactly a bad idea. No, it's, yeah. it's not. So what I understand, Port of Call New Orleans has no connection to the Abel Ferrara film. Except that I think Abel Ferrara probably got a nice check out of it for letting him oh, I'm sure it. he did. Deservedly so. Thanks for the check. Now I'm going to cut you through. Abel Ferrara, one of the directors you do not want to meet in a dark alley. We have one last email, and this is from our good friend Donovan Grant. And he goes, hey guys, love the show, although I'm a fairly recent fan having caught up after first hearing Tom on the Green Lantern episode of Views from the Long Box. I love the honest discussion you guys give each subject you talk about, as well as being completely open to disagreements at the end of every show. I just finished the first part of the Superman episode, guested with Mike Bailey. It was awesome, and so far included my favorite line from the podcast. Derek, every show based from a movie is called The Series. Friday the 13th, The Series. Poltergeist, the series. Your ass, the series. <laughs> awesome! <laughs> anyway, I wanted to take this time to be a total comic book snob and correct you on a bit of information. I'm just going to roll up my sleeves here for a bit. Uh, go right ahead, listen. When starting to discuss Superman the Animated Series, Tom said that initially Bruce Timm thought about doing a Hawkman or Green Lantern show. That's not really the case. Originally, after Batman the Animated Series finished airing in 95... The producers worked on various WB cartoons, including Freakazoid and Pinky in the Brain. 
Bruce Timm had pulled out of Freakazoid after feeling he wasn't a good fit to be its producer. So he wasn't really, really working for a very short time until Gene McCurdy approached him the same way she approached him for Batman and asked if he wanted to do a Superman show, to which Tim jumped at the chance. This is all recounted in the book Modern Masters, Volume 3, Bruce Tim, which contains a huge interview with him on his body of work, in that he makes it clear that it wasn't so much that he decided to do a Superman show as it was a need to find more work. Just wanted to clear that up. Still love the podcast and of this writing. Can't wait for the next part to the Superman show. Your fan, Donovan Morgan Grant. Oh, thank you, okay. Donovan. Now, Donovan, I respect your right to disagree with me. But here's the funny thing. That little tidbit which I talked about, Tim's production company having considered other characters, is also from an interview that Bruce Tim gave to Back Issue Magazine, which predates the interview that you cite, I think. Either your version is right or my version is right. The truth of the matter is it's probably somewhere in between. Yeah. I'm willing to bet that it was something where Gene said, could you do another DC animated show for us? Right. And maybe she even suggested maybe Superman. And they went through the possibilities of doing Robin as a spinoff, or doing Hawkman, or doing Green Lantern, mm-hmm. and decided to go with Rick Hurdy's responsibility. But that's the weird thing. It's like I said, when I got this email, I said, wait a minute. That's not the interview. Now, granted, I have this book. I just haven't cracked it open yet. Either he's writing in this book, or he's writing the interview he gave for to back issue, or it's something in between. I think it's probably more along those lines, as my grandfather used to tell me when I was right. a kid. It's one thing I love telling people. Mm-hmm. They don't think, well, there's two sides to every story. No, there's not. There's three sides. There's your side, there's my side, and then there's what actually right. happened. So I think that's probably you and Donovan. Neither one of you entirely wrong or entirely right. And also, me and Tom... We encourage people to voice their opinions. Yeah. And disagree. That's what this is all about. doesn't mean that you hate the person because they disagree with you. You just have a disagreement of opinion. That's all. It opens up new conversations. Exactly. And that's what this is all about. All we ask, and Dialogue. Donovan was very respectful. If I get an email from somebody saying, you know what, you're fucking ignorant. This is how it really was. I'm not going to read that. No, delete that shit. I'm just going to toss it. Donovan came to us out of a respectful place, and we're giving him a respectful answer. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you, Donovan. Hopefully you will keep listening and won't think that we're ignoring you. That's it for the email? That's it for the email. Two little things I just want to throw out there before we jump into the reviews. First of all, congratulations to a great, great man, Roger Corman. Who That's right, he's getting his Oscar, isn't who, he? Yeah, well, they had a ceremony already right. where he got an honorary Oscar. Mm-hmm. It was him, Lauren Bacall. Right. I don't know if it's going to be televised on the actual Oscar awards, which it should be, because this is a man. 50% of the people who have worked in Hollywood for the past 30, 40 mm-hmm. years freely admit they owe their careers to Roger Corman. Right. Without Roger Corman, we wouldn't have had Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, Francis Ford Coppola, Peter Bogdan. More the list goes on and on. Also, people always focus on Roger Corman's exploitation fair. Right. He was also a big proponent of the art house circuit in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. And used his clout through American International to bring over some very controversial films. Yeah. Yeah. To America for people to view. You hit it right on the head. People are, oh, Roger Corman, B-movies. Roger Corman's contribution to American cinema can in no way be diminished. The man should have got an Oscar years and years ago, as far as I'm concerned. And I'm just glad that they recognized him and didn't do some bullshit right. move, like waiting until he passed away and said, okay, right. we're going to give him. Give it to the guy while he's alive. The posthumous Oscar. Yeah, I hate them things. If you want to show appreciation for somebody... Give it to mm-hmm. them while they're alive. The second thing I want to do is I want to give a shout out to our buddy Russ Anderson, who That's is right. a papa. 
congratulations to Russ, his beautiful wife, Trelina, and mm -hmm. their daughter, Jasmine. We have another child in the Better in the Dark family. Absolutely. Congratulations to you guys. We love you, and I'll be in touch with you guys soon, because I keep saying I'm going to go down there right. and visit them. I usually go down there and trash Russ's house <laughs> on a regular basis. <laughs> so we're very happy for them. Emails out of the way. Shout-outs have been done. Right. Now it's time to get into what the good people have been waiting for. That's right. We, as we said, we're going to cover five films today. Who wants to go first? Well, Age Before Beauty, so that would be you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I guess we'll talk about the first film of the ones that I've seen by myself, which is Pandora, which was a German-American co-production directed by Christian Alvart and written by Travis Malloy. Okay. The reason I went to see this... First off, it was Dennis Quaid. Dennis Quaid, exactly. And secondly, because it was one of the few options for a horror film at the time when, of course, we all want to see horror film. I also like the fact that it was an R-rated horror film. And it's something a little different because it's a science fiction horror film because it starts off with Ben Foster waking up in the cabin of a spaceship. With no memory of who he is or what he's doing there. One of those big, spooky, really yeah. Scott alien type. Yeah, well, it's like, actually, it's very claustrophobic at first. Mm -hmm. And then he's joined by... Dennis Quaid. And they kind of figure out that Dennis Quaid is one of the ship captains. They figure out that the ship was one that was designed for a very long voyage. So they have five different shift teams oh. to rotate. They'll do like six months, and then they'll go into spend animation for a year. And, and then, then the next shift comes out. Right. Okay, exactly. Each shift has its own captain. Exactly. That's a damn good idea. One of the other things I thought was kind of neat was that even though there was no power on the ship, they had those... Kinetic energy builders with your pump or something. or oh. And they try to figure out what's going on. They have no idea where the ship is going, what's happening. Because apparently when you're in extended hypersleep, you get disorientation after you leave. Okay. After they get part of the ship operable. But they still have very little command. So Finn Foster goes off to investigate to try and find the power grid to turn the power grid on. Because apparently the power grid is damaged in some way or is not operating fully. So they're working entirely on that emergency power they're generating themselves. What he finds is a really spooky place, and all I can say is I'm really glad that the crawlers from The Descent have apparently managed to live, that, somehow managed to live that far <laughs> into the future. He meets this hot brunette chicky who I thought was just Australian with a really hoarse voice. Turns out she's German. Well, you just said this was a German co-production, yeah. right? Okay. He meets another guy who does not speak English. He only speaks Chinese, played by the actor uh, Kung Lee. His name is Mon. Mm -hmm. Mon was part of the agricultural division, and Nadia, the Andre Trout character, is part of the genetics division, and they were all had these things, and they've been waking up, and they've been evading these creatures for, it seems like, months and months and months and months and months. Okay. Meanwhile, there's some question, because another one of the crew members wakes up, who Dennis Quaid's character does not recognize. All right. And he explains that he was part of the previous shift, and the reason why they were sleeping for a lot longer, they discovered they were sleeping for a lot longer than they were supposed to, was because one of the members of his shift suffered from Pandora, okay. which is a kind of like a, a rapture of the deep. Ah. Only for space. Okay. Uh, something really terrible happened. He ended up releasing a whole lot of the passengers who were in hypersleep out into space. Things just went horribly wrong. So where'd the thingies come from? If you've seen enough movies like I have, and if you have, you kind of figure out what's going on pretty early on. And what has happened is this latest shift, the shift that was supposed to come on, was actually supposed to come on many, 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 many years earlier. Okay. And what the crawlers are is actually... 
evolved from the passengers who were woken up. Oh, inbreeding. Then they've adapted to being in this perpetually dark, nuclear-radiated spaceship. Inbred hill breeze yeah. and out of space. So you've got Dennis Quaid and this other guy who's acting really kind of hinky, trying to get the logs up and trying to figure out what is going on with the ship. Okay. And on the other hand, you've got Ben Foster and Nadia and Mon trying to evade the thingies, and also there is this other character played by Norman Reedus, Shepard, it's nice to know that Norman Reedus has proudly embraced his role as the Antonio Fargus of our time. <laughs> when I saw the trailer for this, you know what I thought of? What? Immediately. Event Horizon. I give it a lot of credit for being R-rated and being unapologetic about it. Mm-hmm. Because we live in a time now where the tendency is to make all horror films PG-13. PG-13, yeah. To get that teen crowd. But it builds on two shock twists that are very, very easy to guess at. I've already tipped the hand about one of them. Okay. I'm not going to tip the hand on the other one, but if you watch the scenes with Dennis Quaid and this other guy, you'll figure it out very quickly what's going on. Christian Albert must really love Neil Marshall. <laughs> because there are scenes that seem, with the exception of instead of it being a cave, it's a spaceship. Yeah. There are scenes that are lifted almost whole from the descent. So this is the descent out of space. The descent, including there's a scene where Bauer has to evade a whole bunch of sleeping, what they call hunter killers in the film, like walk all on top of them to get to a nuclear reactor's turn on switch, which seems very similar to something that happened in Descent. There's another one where they have to hide in a pile of dead bodies and offal and stuff. That once again is actually almost the same shot from probably the most iconic shot in the Descent. It's not the worst movie in the world. It's mm-hmm. not the worst movie I've seen this quarter. We're not even talking about the worst movie I've seen this quarter, which is probably by default the Final Destination. Final Destination, right. But This is the 3D one. But it is not the greatest thing in the world. Okay. I give it credit for doing an already horror film and doing a science fiction film. Is it worth the rental? Maybe. As I've said in the past, if you're going to choose somebody to lead humanity into the future, you can do a lot worse than Dennis Quaid. Than Dennis Quaid, right. You know? Right. So it's not a movie that you would tell anybody, listen, you got absolutely got to yeah. see it, but it, no, there's no. nothing else available Yeah, it's not going to kill you. So no, it's not that. Oh, all right. Cool. So, so is it my turn? It is your turn. My turn. And we're going to go with a movie that I had a lot of hopes for, and I was really let down, disappointed by mm-hmm. it. It's a movie that came out this year, directed by Jonathan Mostow, and starring a great, great man, Bruce Willis, right. who has made science fiction movies before, like Armageddon and Twelve Monkeys and The Class of the Fifth Element, mm-hmm. which are all science fiction movies that I love, especially The Fifth Element. That's right, that's one of your favorite films. I could watch that thing every day. So when I went to see Surrogates, I said, it's Bruce Willis, it can't mm-hmm. be a bad movie. <laughs> it's the year 2017. There's been this technology that's been developed. Whereas everybody has something that's called a surrogate. What it is, it's an android body. Mm-hmm. In your house, you have a stem chair. You sit in the stem chair, and your human consciousness is put into the surrogate body. While you're in the surrogate body, you can taste, touch, smell, feel. All the sensory experiences mm-hmm. that right. you have as a human being. But it's a body that's about 90% indestructible. And you can make it look any way you want. So Bruce Willis... When we finally see him in his human form, he looks haggard, he's bald, but his surrogate is young and handsome, he's got a full head oh, of Oh, God, you know, I, when I saw the trailers for this, I'm like, that is the worst-looking wig you could 
possibly have chosen, Bruce. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, they use the CGI technique that they use for the X-Men movie yeah. to make him look young. It's Bruce Willis, but it, you know. But it looks like the guy from A Flock of Seagulls uh-huh. assaulted him and cut his hair against his will. But that's what the surrogates look like. They have that okay. kind of waxy kind of look. They don't look mm-hmm. normal. The surrogates have this anti-feedback thing so that mm-hmm. you don't experience pain. And if something happens to the surrogate to destroy it, it doesn't happen to your human mm-hmm. body. But, however, somebody has developed a weapon that will destroy a surrogate, and not only that, but the feedback will kill the human right. operator. They're trying to find the guy who invented the surrogates and kill him. The problem with that is that this guy has a dozen surrogates, and he never uses the same one twice, right. so you never know who he is or where he's at. James Cromwell plays mm-hmm. the guy who created the surrogate technology. Now, to get to the meat and potatoes of the movie... Which isn't going to take too long because I'm going to tell y'all right now I'm going to trash this movie. Bruce Willis, in the course of his investigations, his surrogate gets destroyed. Now, instead of just finding another surrogate to put him into, he decides that he's got to come out and investigate the case as his human self. He goes to the station house where he works at. His boss says, what are you doing here in the flesh? It's like a phobia people have against seeing you in the flesh because everybody's got a surrogate. As Bruce Willis is reconnecting with his humanity, he tries to get his wife to stop using her surrogate and join him and be real. Let me say first off that this is the problem I had with the movie right from the beginning. They say that 90% of the people in the world have surrogates. Now, we're talking about some pretty sophisticated technology here. Who's running that technology? Not only that, how is 90% of the world population able to afford this technology mm-hmm. when 90% of the world population can't afford DVRs? A lot of people can't buy cars. We're talking about something that, in effect, is an android that is totally indistinguishable right. from human being. And you got to buy the chair that goes mm-hmm. along with it. How are people affording this? Second of all, Willis's surrogate is destroyed. Why not just put him in another surrogate? Right. Why does he have to come out? Another and surrogate his, that looks different from the first one. Which is something that they touch on in the movie, which to me would have been a more interesting angle to take mm-hmm. to the movie. Because once surrogate is destroyed, and this is one of these really hot looking blonde chick with big boobs. When we see who the human operator is, mm-hmm. you go like, oh my god. You know? <laughs> so to me, that set up a more interesting angle of the movie. What if you got black people who have white surrogates? Right. And white people who have black surrogates. What if you could be whoever the heck you wanted? Exactly. You're a 300-pound fat guy. Well, you can have a surrogate that's six foot four and 190 pounds and looks like Clint Walker. But they don't go for that angle at all. They just go for this single-minded mentality of Bruce Willis trying to solve this mystery, which really isn't all that interesting, first of all. This, to me, was a very disappointing movie on all levels. The science fiction premise itself is very interesting, but they just reduce it to this very mundane murder mystery that is not interesting right. at all. Bruce Willis even looks like he's tired acting mm-hmm. in this movie. It looks like he just said, oh. And this is a film I wanted to see, although you said, don't, don't, please don't. Yeah, yeah. No. Because not only Bruce Willis, but Rodda Mitchell is in it. And I'm a big Rodda Mitchell fan. Nobody in this movie mm-hmm. is served by this screenplay. Okay. Ving Raines is in it. His character goes nowhere. James Cromwell who's in the movie for only about like five minutes. For the rest of the movie, you see him as his surrogate forms. Right. So he just showed up and collected a check and went home. It's not a movie. If you're a Bruce Willis fan and you actually have to see everything that Bruce Willis does, yeah, okay, go see it, but be warned. Go pop in your DVD of Fifth Element again. Right. Or even Armageddon. I didn't care for Armageddon, but I'd rather sit through Armageddon again than watch right. Surrogates again. I'm going to throw it back to okay. you. Okay, the next film I'm going to discuss is... Of course, a film that a lot of people have been talking about, Paranormal Activity. Woo-hoo! 
I want to get this out of the way right up front. You do it. This is not the scariest movie ever made. I didn't think it was. (laughs) And I'm sorry, I think that that whole story about Steven Spielberg being so spooked by it that he returned it to uh, DreamWorks in a plastic bag and said, keep it away from my house, is bullshit. I call bullshit on you, Oren Pelly. That's movie hype. It's another one of these films that is shot in the kind of point of view genre along the lines of Blair Witch and Cloverfield. Semi-documentary uh, One of the first things I did like about this is they say right up front, because they have a title card saying, DreamWorks Pictures would like to thank the families of these people mm-hmm. for allowing us access to this footage. Which to me is kind of a subtle reminder that we're not going to go through with shaky cam every five seconds. Right. And a lot of this film is very stable. Thank God. It is the story of... As everybody knows, how much mm-hmm. Uncle Derek hates yes. shaky cam. It is the story of Katie and Micah. A young couple. Katie is a student, although what she's studying we never know because she doesn't seem to do anything. <laughs> Maybe that's what she's studying, doing uh, nothing. Yeah, she doesn't seem to do anything regarding studying. And we don't know what Micah does. And they just moved into this new house. Katie is a very special girl because apparently since the age of eight... She has had these weird encounters where things have moved in the middle of the night. She's felt, one of the things I did like about the script was that the first question we always have with a haunted house film is, why the fuck they don't get out? Eddie Murphy said it best right. in his thing. Just leave. Yeah. Just leave the house. Well, here he establishes right early on that they can't leave the house because it's not the house that's the problem. Of course, why Mika stays with her. That's another thing. That's question. another thing. It's like, so long, baby, you're haunted. We can't be together. The first scene, we see that he buys this brand new super-duper camera setup, and he's planning on recording what goes on while they're asleep. Bullshit, he wants to make a porno. He, <laughs> he does keep trying to get her to do that, and she's he like, He wants to make no. a porno. <laughs> and she's like, no, we're not going to do that. I gotta say, as an actress, I like Katie Featherstone, who plays Katie. Okay. In the film. Though, beyond a certain point, all she does is whine, and beyond a certain point, all the actor, Micah Slowit, is a total dick, and I'll explain why he's a total dick in a few seconds. But let me just say that in private conversations yeah. we've had about paranormal activity prior mm-hmm. to us doing that, yeah. I get the impression that you put her on the same level as the actress that both me and you love from Cloverfield. Yeah. You just watched it for a minute yeah. and you got her entire character. And the other ca- thing I really character. liked about Katie, and this is one of the reasons why I have respect for Mr. Pelly for resisting... Originally, DreamWorks had offered him the chance to remake it with a big budget. Okay. And he said no, because Katie, she's a heavy set, but she's attractive, and she's sexy. I she looks like a regular person. person. Yeah, she looks and like a regular person. And you know that if he was given a 3 or $4 million budget, they would push on them Ashley Simpson or some other sort of CW-friendly... Yeah, somebody trying to make Katie a career. Cassidy, that stupid bitch <laughs> who's been trying to channel Heather Locklear on that Melrose Place remake when nobody gets to channel Heather Locklear except Heather Locklear. Breathe, Tom. Breathe. You I folks don't want to get them started on this. Trust me on this. You I don't want to get them started I on the new Melrose Place. Show. I stopped watching, finally. I couldn't make it till when Amanda shows up. Well, that's good. I don't want to get a phone call talking about you had a heart well, attack. Well, it was one of those, <laughs> those things. You know how, like, when we were talking about Smallville two episodes ago, I said there was a moment when I was watching Smallville, and I said, I wouldn't mind if every one of these characters died horribly. Yeah. I had that with pretty much the first episode. 
of this Melrose Place remake. But that's beside the point. But, but anyway. now they're going to force me to watch Smallville because now my girl is going to be on it. You heard yeah, right? Pam Pam Amanda Waller. Yeah, of all people. Wow. <laughs> and then they got the two-hour Justice Society yeah. coming up. Although, they, I'm sorry. They're going to force me to watch this crap. Yeah, I'm with Mike Bailey on this. If I'm going to do the Justice Society, I want Green Lantern, The Flash, Hulk and Hawkman. Yeah. Green Lantern, The Flash, and Wildcat. Those are the three. Oh, yeah, Wildcat. I'm going to yeah, choose yeah, yeah. three Justice Society members. Yeah. Not Hawkman, Stargirl, which of course is one of Jeff Johns' secret special friend characters, like oh. Hal Jordan. No, Hal Jordan, when well, he wants to be his really special friend. Oh, yeah. But yeah, but that's what you want. You want the iconic Justice right. Society members. And I've seen a picture of Michael Shanks in the Hawkman costume, and I'm sorry, he doesn't look like yeah. Hawk. The guy from, from the Battle the of the Rose. Super Friends looks more like Hawkman <laughs> than Michael Shanks does. Oh, my God. But that's another Yes, episode. we should get back to paranormal activity. So he's filming. This is all this guy seems to do every day. He sets the camera up at night before they go to bed, and he reviews the footage, and he does electronic tricks. He's got like a really nice setup for somebody who seems to be a bum. Eventually, we find out that there is something going on, and it's not very happy with what Mick is doing. Now, there are some things about this that I like, but there's a lot of stuff I don't care for. The biggest problem is Micah is a jerk. I like the fact that in the early scenes, you definitely get the impression that he loves Katie for who she is. Mm-hmm. But he treats the whole thing as a game. Yeah. At one point, he says, I'm going to bring in a Ouija board. And she goes, no. No Ouija board. Promise me, you're not going to buy a Ouija yeah, board. Yeah, and things is nothing to fool with. Next scene, he has a Ouija board. And he says, oh, I borrowed it from somebody. I didn't buy it. And why Katie didn't throw him out of the house that moment, I have no idea. I speak from personal experience. Right. Them things are dangerous. Mm -hmm. They are not to be played with. There's a character in here who's a psychic who comes in at the very first part of the film. Not Zelda Rubenstein. No, no, no. He's he's like this guy with glasses, and he says, there's this this doctor I want you to bring in. He's a specialty in demonology. He'll be better able to help you than me. Mm -hmm. Right? And they take down his number, but Micah doesn't want to call him because... The ghost is fucking with my girlfriend. No one messes with my girlfriend. He treats us as a territorial fight between another frat boy. When they actually get around to trying to call the doctor, he's out of the country. <laughs> so why bring up this doctor in the first place? If he's not going to be a part of the movie. Exactly, Derek. And the other problem with the film is that Paley really telegraphs when the scares are coming. Every time that there's a special effects sequence, there's a sound that sounds like an air conditioner turning on that you hear. And that's almost a signal. It's like, okay, we're going to get through something spooky. They might as well hold up a yeah. sign. Spooky shit coming up. There is one genuinely freaky moment where this... We never see the monster. Okay. The closest we get are these weird three-toed footprints. Mm. Because Micah gets the idea that he's going to take talcum powder, place it all over the top floor of the house where they're sleeping. If something's moving around, we'll see its footprints. This is a guy who apparently went to the Peter Bankman School oh, of Ghostbusters. He's an idiot. <laughs> He's an idiot. But at one point, Katie is seen to be dragged out of her bed. Oh, shit. Good shit. You don't see any wires or anything, and it's a really effective... And it helps that that Micah is, like, freaking out. I think this is a film, though, that I would have had a much more positive reaction to if I had seen it in a crowded theater. Because you can see how this film... And this film is not going to do well on DVD, I think. From what I understand, from what other people besides you have told me... This movie was designed as a midnight movie. Yeah. 
theater experience where it's best if you see it with a whole bunch of other right, people. Because so everybody can go, oh shit, at yeah. the same time. Because I can see how those shocks would work better if you had the energy of other people. Because I saw yeah. it with maybe three other people in an early morning show. I could see how those shocks would be more effective with other people sitting around me reacting yeah, I and I feeding you. off of their energy. Kind of like the Rocky Horror Picture exactly. Show. Exactly. Because I went to see years ago mm-hmm. when Rocky Horror was playing, you know, right. in the village and you would go to the show. Right. And I went and I saw the people getting up in costumes and doing Okay, it. good time. Years later, I watched when it's on home video and right. I'm sitting there and saying, what a piece of crap. Yeah, you know, oh, it's, it's a, a terrible movie. Right. But it's fun when you yeah. go watch with the people with the costumes and getting up on the stage mm-hmm. and dancing and singing along and with the dialogue. It's a fun experience, but that's what it is. It's an experience. And the weird thing is, you put it right, it's meant to be a midnight movie in a era where there are no midnight well, movies. We don't have that anymore. That is an era that has long passed, unfortunately. I would love to see somebody try to revive it, though. You and me both. There's so many weird things I saw during that period. Oh, because that damn movie ran for like 20 years yeah. in the village. I think it was the thing that kept that movie theater on St. Mark's Place. Yeah. Right around the corner from NYU in business for so long. Yeah. And I think I went two or three times with friends of mine to see Because, you know, what? I had friends that kept going back. Every, right. I had one friend, I think this guy went for like 10 years straight every Saturday yeah. night. I will say that I'm really interested to see what this filmmaker does next. So it's not entirely a waste of it's time. It's not a waste of time. Okay. But it's something I think I would not recommend it for rental because you really need to have that experience. Unfortunately, by the time that our audience yeah. this is probably not going to be in the theaters anymore, but hey, what are you going to do? It, I can see this film, if it was made in the 80s, or the late 70s, having this amazing afterlife on the Midnight Show. On the Midnight Ride, right, yeah. Because it's just the type of thing that I could imagine watching at midnight, 1 o'clock, and being totally creeped out by yeah, it afterwards. You. I think I want to rent it anyway. Okay. Watch it just as a curiosity based on your recommendation. Yeah, because I am curious to see it. Because I heard it is good. It's he's good. got chops. This director has serious directing chops. And I cannot wait to see what he does next. Okay. Also, Micah, not so much, but Katie Feather has got a really good personality. And I really think... I don't know if she's going to have another role like this. Because mm-hmm. she is very heavy set. Mm-hmm. And I can see... People making her like the best friend. The best friend, right. In, yeah. in another one of those romantic comedies starring Catherine Hyde. Where the friend is always the heavy set yeah. girl. Wasn't the, the actress that we liked from Cloverfield, wasn't she in 27 Dresses as the best friend? I don't know. Cause I have seen 27 Dresses. Patricia watched right. it one night and I watched it with her. I don't remember a blessed thing about that movie. Well, she got it because she's a big Grey's Anatomy fan, and she likes Catherine Heigl. But Catherine Heigl doesn't do anything for me. Yes, she's a gorgeous-looking baby, but outside of that, she doesn't do much for me. Lizzie Kaplan. Right, Lizzie Kaplan. Using the magic of Wonderbox, I'm going to see if I was right about that. Good old Wonderbox. Let us take a look. Well, you must have seen 27 Dresses yourself. I didn't see 27 Dresses, but I remember seeing a... You undercover romantic comedy lover. (laughs) <laughs> you take that back. You undercover romantic comedy lover. I guess I was wrong. Oh, My Best Friend's Girl was the the film she was in as the best friend. Never heard of it. I think there's a good reason for that. You have one more film to talk about before we talk about District 9. Yes, and this is one that probably still have a good chance of catching in the movie theaters mm-hmm. when they hear this because, of course, it was the number one movie last week. I think it made something like $60 million right. the opening weekend. It's the end of the world apocalyptic thriller 
2012, starring our friend, the great, great man, John Cusack. John Cusack. First of all, let me give you a little bit of history lessons, babies. There was once a great, great man called Irwin Allen. Yes. Who was known in Hollywood as the master of disaster. Mm -hmm. And what he did was that he made disaster movies. He would get a bunch of actors. Some of them were former greats who had been A-list actors, but now weren't A-list actors anymore. And then he took some up-and-coming actors and he put them together. And he would either put them in an earthquake or he would put them in a mile-high skyscraper that's on fire. Or, in his best movie, which I consider to be the going with the wind of disaster movies, he put them in an ocean liner and flipped the whole thing upside down. Irwin Allen made these movies with a lot of skill, a lot of dedication, a lot of heart. They made money, they were exciting, they were thrilling. You know why? Because we cared about the people. And if you're going to put people in that position, you have to care about them. Because some of them lived and some of them died. And half of the fun of going to see these disaster movies was that there'd be about like 20 actors in the movie. Mm-hmm. And you would go and say, okay, well, he's going to die, he's going to die, he's going to die. And that was part of the fun. 2012, I didn't give a shit about who lived or who died in this movie. Yes. I'm telling you right now. Except for John Cusack and one of the two actors that played, because his character's got two kids right. in this movie. John Cusack is a science fiction writer. Slash limousine driver. And we all know what happened to John Cusack the last time he played a limousine driver. World of the Slab. Well, first, I should jump back to the prologue of the movie. It starts in 2009. The British actor, and I'm going to take a stab at pronouncing his name here, Chiweto Ijofor. He finds out through a friend of his that's conducting geological research in India that there's been unprecedented solar flare activity. Mm. Radiation that previously was benign and not harmful, has suddenly turned into like super microwaves that's cooking the earth from the inside out. What that's doing is that it's shifting the tectonic plates Mm -hmm. around. So continents are going to start moving in 2012. Right. Which coincides when the Mayans predicted that the world was going to come to an end. That's in 2009. Chuelo Ijafor gets to the president, played by Danny Glover, and his chief of staff. So now is it agreed that if you're a distinguished black actor in Hollywood, you will eventually get to play the president? Yeah. Not that Danny Glover plays it all that well, and I'll get yeah, into okay. that in a little while. The chief of staff, played by uh, Oliver Platt. Who's mm-hmm. somebody we've talked about and like very much. Yes, I do, because I actually had the pleasure of mm-hmm. meeting him and talking to him for about half hour, 45 minutes. He's a very nice man. He goes to them, he tells them, listen, the world's going to come to an end in 2012. Danny Glover gets all the all the heads of state, and he informs them, he says, okay, this is what's going to happen. We cut to 2012. John Cusack, his wife has left him, played by Amanda Peet, for this other guy, and she's living with him, and he shows up to take his kids on a camping trip. He goes to Yellowstone Park, and while in the park, he runs into this whacked-out guy, played by Woody Harrelson, who has his own pirate radio station, where he's a survivalist, yeah. disasterist, he's always screaming about the world is coming to an end, mm-hmm. and he shows John Cusack evidence that, okay, this is what's going to happen, the governments of the world, they're involved in this conspiracy, they're only going to save a certain number of people. John Cusack gives him the finger and leaves. However, what happens shortly after that? Well, there's an earthquake and California slides into the sea, which is what I have to admit is a spectacular Special effects sequence. The CGI guys go crazy with this Mm -hmm. movie. The statue in Rio de Janeiro, Christ the Redeemer, we see that fall. We see St. Peter's Basilica fall, and the dome is rolling over, crushing that's all that Roland Emmerich is about. The big money shot. And I should say, folks, if you want to go see 2012, take my review with a grain of salt, because I have not seen a Roland Emmerich movie yet that I've liked. That includes 
Independence Day. I didn't like well, it. But yeah, but Independence Day was sold entirely on the idea that you get to see the, the White House <laughs> blow up. Exactly. That's what this whole movies are based around. These huge big set pieces. But it's what we gotta endure to get to the set pieces. That's oh my god. And this movie's like three and a half hours long. And you're sitting there and you're just like and I'm shifting in my seat. I'm saying, oh my and then of course it comes another big special effect. By the fourth earthquake John Cusack had outrun. <laughs> I was bored. I said, later for this shit. So what? He keeps outrunning earthquakes. He jumps the R V over a chasm, slightly smaller than the Snake River oh. Canyon. John Cusack, Daredevil stunt writer. While it's fun to see John Cusack in action hero mode, mm-hmm. it's always good to see John Cusack, period. You just say that this is a role that any actor could have done. Mm-hmm. Every single actor in this movie, Danny Glover is wasted. Oliver Pl- you know that there's something wrong with your movie when the guy's supposed to be the bad guy. is the only one that makes any sense every time he opens <laughs> up his mouth. Whenever Oliver Platt spoke, I said, why don't you listen to the man? He's making sense. People apparently went to see this in droves because it was the number one movie last week. And I'm sure they're going to go see it because you know what I get from people when I tell them about this movie? Well, I just want to turn off my brain and be entertained. My brain likes to think. My brain right. doesn't like to be turned off. That drives me up the wall when people say, well, I just want to turn off my brain and be entertained. Why is it necessary for you to turn off your brain to be entertained? Right. All you're doing is giving lazy filmmakers like Roland Emmerich license to make stupid, dumb movies like 2012. Right. That's it. I'm done. We need to talk about something good, don't we? <laughs> yes, we do. Luckily, the last one we're going to talk about is something good. What's that? District 9. Oh, cool. I like me some District 9. I like me some District 9, too. I think it has its flaws, but it is a very, very good film. Yeah. Well, you know how this film got made? How? Peter Jackson was hired to do a Halo movie. Ah, uh, yeah, I heard about that. Things yeah. fell through, but Peter Jackson had already raised a shitload of money. So he knew this guy, Neil Blomkamp, mm-hmm. who had done this little short film and said, hey, would you like to turn that short film into a feature? Here's some money. Here's a whole shitload yeah. of money. <laughs> what we got was District 9. And Which a lot- I'm pretty sure is every filmmaker's dream. Yeah. You have somebody just comes and backs up a truckload and says, mm-hmm. Go, and dumps a whole bunch of money on your lawn. A lot of the reason why this film works is due to the performance of one Charteau Copley. Yeah. A first-time actor, no less, who plays the main character, Wilkes Van Demeer. And who has been tapped to play Howling Man Murdoch in the A-Team movie, which is filming even as we speak. How to describe this movie? Because it changes its face every 20 to 30 minutes. This movie starts out as a documentary. Yeah. It ends up as a gonzo buddy action movie mm-hmm. of all things. <laughs> um, only, it's a weird type of thing. Not only is it a documentary, it's The Office with Aliens. At yeah, first. yeah, yeah. Charto Copley, at first, all I could think of was he has the same sort of look and totally out of it demeanor that. Oh, the guy from the office? That's what I thought it was at first when I mm-hmm. saw the. Uh, you Steve know, Carell. Steve Carell. When I saw it, I said, Is that Steve Carell? Mm hmm. I think we should mention first that the movie, for those of you who haven't seen it, one day this huge alien spaceship just comes to Earth and hovers over Johannesburg Johannesburg. in South Africa. The spaceship is just there. It's not interfering with anybody. They're not attacking anybody, but they're not communicating with anybody. So eventually the UN sends up an exploratory team. Right, to cut their way in. And what they find is a bunch of these strange insectoid aliens... Malnourished, near starvation, near death, 
And so they take them out. And as a matter of fact, I don't know, are they slaves or workers? Because they have no idea how to work the right. ship. That's why they yeah. never communicated with anybody or moved it. They didn't know how to work the damn thing. So they bring them down. They put them in a district called District 9. A ghetto. Basically a ghetto. And mm. I think it's also very clear why, given the money he was given, he kept it in Johannesburg. He wanted to make very clear parallels between this and what is for them a very near memory of apartheid. Apartheid, yeah. It's still a sore point in that country, right. even after all this time. The aliens, which they call prawns, prawns, are living in this ghetto. They're causing some problems. People are uncomfortable. And we see all these signs, you are not welcome here. Prawns not allowed. And I think it's very funny. I appreciated this as a black man. I appreciated the irony of the scenes where they had black people were commenting. They asked yeah. their opinion on Oh, they don't belong here. They should go back to where they belong. Why? They, and they, we don't know there's what a lot of irony in this. We know that they really did cat food. They eat the thing candy. No. <laughs> right. but and the, we actually see scenes where they trade technology yeah. for a whole case of candy. You know, I give and you in fact, what, what's the first thing that springs up in there? A Nigerian warlord. Warlord. Basically. He has this whole thing with trading cat food. However, this is the thing. The aliens don't mind trading the technology because as it turns out, Humans can't use it anyway. Right. <laughs> you got to have alien DNA. And this Nigerian warlord actually is killing prawns that he catches by himself. Right. And he's eating them because he thinks that by ingesting their flesh, he'll get to use he'll get to use And these weapons. are some pretty funky weapons because we see, see them do some pretty nasty oh, yeah. things. It is decided that they're going to relocate them to another ghetto further away from Johannesburg. This is outsourced to a private organization and it is given to the son of the head of this organization, who is the aforementioned Wilkes. And this cat is so in his job. Absolutely, clearly clueless. <laughs> I still love my favorite line. He sees the little kid. Uh huh. And he's like, Oh, oh, uh, I need to talk to your dad. He's here. He's a sweetie. I'm no. a sweetie, man. And the, the throws the thing back at him. <laughs> the kid hits him with a rock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, stupid human, yeah. And they go through a considerable amount of trouble trying to relocate these aliens. Yeah. Because they don't want to be relocated. And they don't understand English, too. Mm-hmm. And, of course, once again, much like in the film of Alien Nation, they're given, quote-unquote, South African names. Right, yeah. And there's this one, John... One prawn, who it turns out is... No, they do understand English, but they can't speak it. Yeah, because, I, yeah, because they do communicate with them. Right. But they communicate with these clicks yeah. and everything like but that. But I don't think they read English. No, nah, I don't think... Because he tries to show yeah. the form at one time. And you hear me like, what is this? I don't English. understand this. Yeah. It turns out that the father of this child is more intelligent than the others and has been looking for something for the last 16 years. Yeah. And finds it on this day. During the course of this evacuation, this thing gets spilled on Wilkes. It sprays his black goop yeah. in his face. And Wilkes' life starts changing. Oh, yeah. That's all I will say about this. I mean, there's a lot of twists and turns. I think one of the, the things I think might be a flaw is like is that it keeps changing its mind what it wants to be every well, 20 minutes. Yeah, after about like a half hour, we leave that documentary... Oh, so they keep bringing it back. Yeah, occasionally. It's not like a documentary, and then it's a straight movie, and then it goes back to the documentary format. It's kind of like, you remember how we've discussed a couple of episodes ago, Behind the Master Rise of Ah, Vernon, and how I said that there were these sequences that flipped into full cinematic mode during the documentary section, which didn't work for me quite so much. Uh It was the flip side of that. Once it became very clear this was a cinematic movie, when it kept going back to... 
the psychologist they were always interviewing. Yeah. And Wilkes' assistant on this thing, who runs away. (laughs) (laughs) When things get really hairy. But the movie really cranks in the high gear, Mm. because as it turns out, Wilkes forms an alliance with John. Whatever was in this canister that spilled on him, it's fucking him up in ways that we're not going to go into. you got to see the movie for yourself to see what it does. But that's why I say it turns into this Gonzo Buddy movie, yeah. because... But even he, before that, it becomes a conspiracy film for a while. Yeah! For reasons we're not going to go into, Wilkes is now able to operate the machinery. Right, the alien technology, which makes him a value to yeah. this alien John, because mm-hmm. he's saying, what was in the cancer made me yeah. wait for us to get my people back right. home. And he makes alliance with John. Well, listen, if you help me, I'll cure you of right. what... Well, one of the things I like about Copley's performance... Uh-huh is that a usual American movie like this, Wilkes would have had some sort of redemption. Not so in this film. He gets more and more nuts as the he movie... He gets very... No, but he, his motives, even though he does virtuous things in the last act of this film, he's doing them for purely, purely selfish, selfish reasons. reasons. The guy is... He, he's out for self, which is why I like him. And I like that he increasingly gets more nuts as yeah. the movie goes along. Especially when he gets into that suit. Yeah, oh, that was a great suit. He just goes off the wall. I mean, even though this film is flawed, I love the fact that it's a original science fiction film. Yeah. Even though it owes some debts to things like Alien Nation. Which is what I immediately thought of when I saw it. And it makes a lot more sense than something like surrogates, because it takes time to actually explain what's going on. I give it a lot of credit for trying to raise new things and being something that's not a remake or a rebooting, or an adaptation of a kind of existing material. Well, it qualifies as what I think is a legitimate science fiction movie. It's not an action thriller disguised as science fiction. Until we get to that last quarter where it does turn into an action movie, mm-hmm. up until then, it's pretty much straightforward science fiction. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. He's eating chocolate, <laughs> folks. His mouth is full of chocolate. <laughs> yes. That could be, out of context, very inappropriate sounding. Only if they have dirty minds. <laughs> only, if, only if we have a dirty-minded audience. <laughs> but it was great at the end of the summer, which, as we know, we have christened the Summer of summer Meh. Summer Meh. To have this really good film at the end of it. This was a movie worth waiting for. Agreed. I mean, that's the only one we're going to be able to recommend. Yeah, five movies. Yeah. And out of all of them. Just to summarize, I... Definitely cannot recommend Pandorum. I would recommend Paranormal Activity if you can see it with a large audience, which I think is at this point very doubtful. Or maybe what you do is that you rent it and invite all your friends over. Yeah, that might be a... And turn out the lights and mm-hmm. everybody's sitting in the crowd. Yeah, and you cannot recommend... I cannot recommend Surrogates unless you're a Bruce Willis fan. And I'm a Bruce Willis fan, that's why I went to see it. Maybe you'll want to check it out. It doesn't work for me as science fiction. It doesn't work for me as a mystery. It doesn't work for me as a thriller. It didn't work for me as well. It's definitely not one of his better movies. Right. And as for 2012, if you're a John Cusack fan, you may want to watch this. I'm not going to sit up here and not lie and say that the special effects weren't good. They were. They were tremendous. However, what you got to do to right. get to those special effects sequences, the story is like, oh, forget about it. But considering all the money that is made, a lot of people like this type of stuff. Yeah. So what do I know? And, and uh, both... Enthusiastically recommend District 9. That's a movie. That's great special. Go. I mean, if you guys love special effects, it's great special. It's great CGI. 
Great Terrific story. story. Wonderful performance by Chartel Copley. Yeah. We are definitely looking forward to seeing more of real soon. This is a movie that's definitely, when it comes on DVD, is going to go into yeah. my home library. And I'm sure they're going to have a whole bunch of nifty extras. I love the way also they advertise this film with those very subtle ads with the this is a district restrict for humans only. Human only zones. All those like posters that were showing up around. But oh, they the had. Yeah. I saw the posters they had on mm-hmm. there. This is a humans only bus. Well, that's it. So hopefully, well, let's see what's coming out in the. I don't know if there is any much. Oh, the Sherlock Holmes coming out for the yeah, next Yeah, that, that's going to be what on Christmas. Christmas, Christmas Day. Day. Yes. Yeah. And there are I guess Robert Downey Jr. Mm-hmm. That'll be worth watching for him alone, if nothing yeah, else. Well, Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law. One really incredible actor and one really good actor. Yeah. The only thing that worries me is that it might come out to be more of a, like, action Sherlock. I saw the trailers for this, and you know what I flashed back to? What? Remember the young Sherlock Holmes yes. movie? For some reason, I think that this is the characters from that movie all grown right. up. Because that was kind of like an action Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. I gotta yeah. admit, though, I find it so hilarious that my local 7-Eleven, every month they do a different movie tie-in. Yeah. And this month, it's Sherlock Holmes. Okay. So you've got Sherlock Holmes all over the place. Okay, as a long-time Sherlock Holmes yeah. fan, what I'm excited about is that maybe, just maybe, this will make Sherlock Holmes cool again and expose him to a whole new generation right. of fans who will be encouraged to go back and read the Arthur Conan Doyle books, who will be encouraged to go see the Battles of Rathbone movies right. and the Jeremy Brett TV show. So we could be looking at a whole Sherlock Holmes renaissance here. So is it time to get into the administrative? Yep. Do your administrative stuff, and then we got to get out of here and get ready to do right. our next episode. So, record there are a number of ways to get a hold of us. Perhaps the most easy way is to drop us a little email at betterinthedark at earth2.net. That's betterinthedark at earth-2.net. We also have two message boards, one that is associated directly with the earth2.net website, so you just click through on the forums and look for our name, and then you can join up and start in the fun there. You can also join the official Better in the Dark board at betterinthedark.proboards.com, which is, of course, run by our good friend Eric Frome. Hell, sign up for both of them. You're looking for stuff to do on the internet anyway, so. (laughs) Uh, Derek and I both have Facebooks, and in fact, our good friend Kaylin Conley put together a Better in the Dark Facebook Facebook group that you can join become a fan of that. And it, you can also then be our friend, as Des likes to say. Our friend. Our friend. Also, we both have live journals. Derek's is called... Derek Ferguson's Notebook. And, and Tom's is Space Monkey, Monkey Mafia. Mafia. We're not hard to find. Also, of course, coming up around the, the turn of the year, right? We both have stories in How the West Was Weird. Yeah. An How anthology of strange and wacky westerns. Yeah, it's going to be coming out in 2010 from Pulp Press because now the schedule is we're really going to be ambitious. So there's like six books going to be coming out in the first six months. Okay. Later in that year, of course, will come Amazing Alternative Stories, which is edited by none other than yes. the man sitting here to my right. I just started getting the stories for now, so I'm going to start looking at them over. January, Dylan and the Legend of the Golden Bell will Woo! be published. It was originally supposed to come out in December, but I asked if it could be pushed back to January because... To be honest, I'm going to be selfish. I didn't want to get lost in the holiday. And besides, people are going to have Christmas money to spend. Yeah, well, and and know what I figured? I figured that people, they have disposable income. They're going to be spending it on their friends and family. And and I'm not that arrogant to think that Mm -hmm. they say, oh, well, i got to have Derek's book. And they would probably say, I'll buy it in January anyway. So why not have it in January? And you can learn more about 
Dylan and the Golden Bell, and how the West was weird, and amazing alternative stories, and all the Joel Jenkins books we talked about yeah. earlier in this episode at Pulpwork Stock Press, which is at pulpworkpress.com. There you go. Lots of fun stuff for those of you who like to hear us babble. Yeah. Also, we should mention, you were recently on uh, M-Wire. Yep. We still have two episodes of this Views from Sector 666 that are going to be coming out. Yeah. Where me and Michael Bailey talk about Blackest Night. Yeah. And I've also done a couple of shows for Back to the Bins, where Scott Gardner of Two True Freaks, and you can find them at twotruefreaks.lipson.com, each bring a random comic book, and we talk about them. It's a lot of fun. It's really short. Usually it's about a half an hour, maybe 40 minutes. So, and also, don't forget to mention, you just did an episode of your own comic-themed Oh, podcast. the DJ Comics Cavalcade. DJ Comics Cavalcade. And yeah. there might be something else coming out. Ah, see? So because now it's Michael's got four. i got to step up my game now. Oh, what is this, competition? I guess so. <laughs> oh, my God. Yo, guys, can you top this? You guys got to sleep sometime. I you know, know what I know. Say. But anyway, yeah, folks, so we're not hard to find. We're all over the place. So I guess that's it for this review episode. Next time you hear us, it's going to be a return to Guilt Edge Bonds. Mm-hmm. We're finally going to get to those two last Pierce Brosnan films. Including the film that I now believe is the worst film ever in the series. He's been waiting to tear me a new one on this episode. But he also has Sophie Marceau. Yeah, but we've only got the last two Brosnan movies, and then we have the uh, Daniel Craig and We're going to have a bottle of champagne for that episode. And we'll be ahead (laughs) of those Surrender Monkeys yet. We should rent tuxedos. There we go. Yeah. I'm almost tempted to say we should record it live. If we could find a way and find somebody to be willing to let us use their auditorium for a couple hours. Hmm. I don't know who, who we could do, but yeah, we, that would be kind of cool, wouldn't it? It would be, to record it live. Yeah. Better in the Dark Live, the last episode. It's been a long, strange trip. But, but that's for two weeks from now. Mm-hmm. Until that time, this has been Derek Ferguson. And this has been Thomas DJ. And <laughs> unless you get lost in a weird ghetto populated by insectoid aliens who don't know how to read English and get assaulted by invisible monsters, go see, see that, that movie. movie. I was trying to think of some more stuff. <laughs> Good night. But that's right. Good night. <laughs> Bye-bye. Listen. Do you hear it? It's getting closer. Much closer. Don't be afraid. Be very, very afraid. Ferguson. Special thanks go out to Gray of the Dark Hours podcast, the Joffrey Street crew from 
cool side on the tube, John S. Drew of the Chronic Rift, Eric Frome, and of course, the members of the Better in the Dark message board at betterinthedark.proboards.com. Better in the Dark really feels that all the characters in the new Melrose play should die, especially Riley and Noah, who couldn't even begin to hold Billy and Alice and spit in their hands, let alone replace them. Send all comments, praise, hate mail, and pipe bombs to betterinthedark at earth2.net. That's betterinthedark at earth-2.net. Please vote for us on Podcast Alley, and why not leave a review of us on iTunes? Better in the Dark is a Conspiracy Productions presentation in association with the Earth2.net community of podcasts. All material copyright, Thomas DJ and Derek Ferguson. Until next time, remember that even though he's dead, Elaine Delon could still rise up and kick all your butts through sheer willpower and still have enough charismatic energy to power his tools all by himself. What happens now? Now it's up to you.